You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, we've got a lot of NFL draft talk to do. However, we have to uh, poke our heads back inside of the off-season drama cycle for just one moment. Jeff Howe of The Athletic um, dropped a piece that gives a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into the Devontae Adams trade. Um you know, there's a big part of me that really just feels like, you know what, I don't want to do this. I mean, it's all interesting information, but it's really, it's drama for the sake of drama. You know what I mean? Like, there's no details that I need to better my understanding of anything, of where the Packers are at or anything. It's really just, I want the juicy details. And I do, and people do, and all that stuff, but I really just have a strong desire to say whatever happened happened and I don't care let's move on you know what I mean like we we've we've been through this a thousand times I don't want to rehash this over and over again. it's it's kind of like you know I was thinking to myself yesterday you know I wonder if people are kind of burned out on the draft stuff and maybe people are a little bit more interested in free agency or whatever but I, I I'm not talking about free free agency we can't talk about the same five wide receivers every single day and speculate over and over and over and over and over again about the same guys and maybe this and maybe that. You know, the free agency is five guys that we've talked about 5,000 times. The draft is 500 prospects, and we've talked about 1.3% of. You know, JJ dropped his episode last night, which, by the way, absolutely phenomenal episode. Um, he had two guests on, got a ton of great insights. Um, I mean, both of them really were great segments and, and get you excited. It, it really, really did exactly what I need, which is getting me excited about a lot of different things. But the point is, you know, one of the things that Coach Hahn talked about, and I want to kind of talk about this after we get through this whole Devante thing, but in fact, I'll, I'll leave out the details so we can talk about it later. But he talked about a first round prospect that is not impossible that the Packers pick. And he got me excited all over. I mean, it's a guy that I like. I've always liked him. He's high on my board. He's high on my preference list. He's high on the Bob McGinn thing. Like er everything about this guy is great. Everything about this guy feels perfect, but we never talk about him. We never theorize about him. And I'm sitting there listening to it like, why don't I talk about this? I like the guy. I love the guy. It's a perfect fit. Everything is perfect because we get so stuck on the same thing over and over and over and over. Drake London and Chris Solave. I mean, I, yesterday I went through a, a binge fest. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm blaming everybody else, but it's also me. And I understand that this is what fans a lot of times watch but, or, or want. But I mean, people that listen to the show have, have got to be starving for something else. 
because I went through and I, I binge subscribed to every single NFL podcast I could find that's talking about the draft. And, you know, we're, we're so many months into this thing. My, my fear was they're going to be so far into the weeds because they've, they've gone through their, they went through their top five wide receiver list back in like November. And, and I'm sure they revisited it, but man, they, they've got to be on like seventh round sleepers and all that. And everything I'm listening to, they're talking about their top five wide receivers. They're talking about their top five quarterbacks. They're, ta- they're still in the first round and they're talking about the same five guys. There's, the point is, there's so much to explore and so little time. I just don't want to get hung up on the same nonsense over and over again and redoing this whole Devante thing all over again. Like, I just, it makes me sick. And part of it is because it's like, it, it sucks that he's gone. And I want to be excited about what the, you know, the, there's, there's a positive and negative thing that took place, right? When we traded Devante, the idea is hopefully we got as much value as we gave up. And I want to focus on the value we got, not the value we lost. I saw just the other day a clip. It was like a highlight somebody put together of Devontae. And it was like, oh, this just makes me sad. You know, as much as I want to be excited and like, dude, this could be a great thing. Like, I'm not even too upset about the Devontae thing. You know, I mean, it just... And then you watch Devontae play and it's like, oh, this is going to suck, man. He was so good. Like, <laughs> I've been lying to myself. This guy is just, ugh. But anyways... Again, we're going to we're going to dive in because we did get some insights that did not um, exist before, and so I want to just kind of read through a little bit of this again. This is Jeff Howe of the Athletic. Um, he does talk about a few other things, but he starts off with Devonte Adams and and the biggest like peek behind the curtain is is mostly the timeline. So he best thing about this article, I don't have to go down to paragraph 17 to find information. Very first sentence, ready? The Packers knew immediately after the NFL scouting combine in early March that they needed to push forward on the Devontae Adams trade, according to sources. Very next sentence. Indirectly, Adams had previously relayed the message to the Packers that he wanted out, and that his unhappiness with the organization extended far beyond the franchise tag. But after the combine, Adams called head coach Matt LaFleur, general manager Brian Gutekunst, and other Packers decision makers to inform them he'd never again play for, the, for Green Bay. The conversations were respectful, and Adams believed they were necessary to get his point across. Prior to those calls, Packers thought Adams was just trying to gain leverage for a new contract. By the way, it's not impossible. I, I understand how that sounds, and, and there's, there clearly seems to be something going on here with Devontae's unhappiness. And, you know, we can add in the layer of, you know, Zadarius also seemed pretty unhappy, and Rodgers seemed pretty unhappy, so what the heck is going on? But, you know, there's a lot of things, you know... Th- th- we can speculate about a lot of stuff. You know, Zadarius seemed to be unhappy when he wasn't elected captain, which is a thing. It's not Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy. That is a locker room issue. And with Devontae, it's entirely possible he's making these calls because he wants out. And, you know, if you're not getting the message across, you kind of just really lay into it. Like, uh, I'm just calling to let you know I freaking hate you. And um, this facility smells like garbage. And the city is boring and stupid, and I um, hate your playbook, Matt. I think you're um, garbage at it. You know what I mean? Like, just just 100% get the point across, even if you have to lie a little bit. And I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying this could mean a lot of different things. The point is, he, he said, I'd like to be traded, and the Packers are like, nah, he doesn't want to be traded. And they're like, let's, uh, how about this much money? And he's like, no, I, you know, I, I kind of want to just go to Las Vegas. You, you just want more money, huh? Huh? All right, 25. 25. Come on. No, no, I, I want to play for the Raiders. 
20, 26. I, I don't I don't know. Like, I mean, you're playing some hardball here. And it's like, dude, I'm never playing for you. Do you understand me? I'm never playing for Green Bay. I hate it here. I do not want to play here. Again, the, the, the only point I'm making is he has an objective, and that is to play for the Raiders. And if that means he needs to come across and say, I hate it here and will never play here again, just to get you to understand you need to trade me and it's going to be to the Raiders, then fine. Now, here's another thought that I had. And again, we're, since, we're, since we're out in conspiracy theory land, which is all you can do with this stuff anyways, is, is just throw out all kinds of speculation and whatever, because it's, it's the best we can do. We had wondered, you know, a lot of this centered around Aaron Rodgers, right? Everybody else is relatively happy, but Aaron Rodgers is miserable. And then again, you get the Zadarius thing, you get the Devontae thing, but we assumed that Devontae was mad because of, of Aaron, and Devontae wanted out because Aaron wasn't going to be there, and he was just going to follow Aaron wherever he went. I wonder, I mean, really think about this, because by the time this all happened, Rodgers made his decision knowing Devontae was going to be gone. And that seemed surprising, right? Because we assumed that this Devontae thing kind of came out of nowhere. Let me just posit this theory to you. How much of Aaron Rodgers being disgruntled last year was because of how angry Devontae was and the fact that Devontae was seemingly wanting to force his way out? Think about what Aaron Rodgers was saying. He was really unhappy with the organization and how they treated people. And we assumed he was talking about Jeff Janis and a bunch of other guys that had left. And, and part of that was it. But maybe the sort of final straw was the fact that Devontae Adams was wanting to walk. His number one wide receiver, the best player he's ever played with, which, by the way, is a line he dropped, I think, this past year, interestingly enough, buttering him up a little bit. Not saying he's lying, I'm just saying, you know. But Devontae Adams basically was, was, I'm sure, communicating in some form or fashion that he didn't want to be here anymore. And Rodgers was furious. Again, remember, the article said this isn't about the franchise tag. This happened long before this. And, and I'd heard this speculation before, um, but you, you look back at the whole last dance thing, and the idea was, well, that was, you know, Rodgers and Adams were both kind of on the way out. But again, we assumed that Rodgers was acting this, or Devontae was acting this way because of Rodgers, right? Um, Devontae was, was kind of just following suit. So when they did the whole last dance thing, that was, you know, maybe both of them leave, but Rodgers is the main agitator here. But maybe that was always about Devontae. And Rodgers, Rodgers was on the fence. I'm not saying he always was coming back. But at that moment, it maybe was a little bit more clear to both of them that Devontae was the one that was leaving. And Rodgers was furious and trying to decide, do I want to play this game if Devontae leaves? Because I don't know if we have a chance. I'm already on the fence about playing. And now Devontae's forcing his way out. And again, Rodgers is throwing a fit. And he's frustrated. And, 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 and again, this is, this is something he's had a problem with for a while now, but th- this is a major straw that broke the camel's back. When his num- the number one player on this team, not named Aaron Rodgers, is basically saying, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm out of here. Rodgers is like, I can't. You guys freaking suck. And I'm furious. And again, it, it kind of makes sense to, to how, like, how does Rodgers just, just decide knowing Devontae isn't coming back to him? Because he's been contemplating this for a year. He's been trying to decide for a year if he wants to play without Devontae. Now, I don't know what the issue is. Again, I, I genuinely believe Devontae just wanted to be a Raider, but it also seems like there's something else going on. I don't know what that is, but he genuinely didn't seem very happy. So again, it, it's kind of conspiracy theory-esque, but it kind of is starting to make a little bit more sense. Now, maybe it, it really is. Rodgers kind of threw a fit, and that got under 
Devontae's skin. You know, he's Roger started talking to Devontae, and Devontae started buying into it, and he's like, all right, fine, let's get out of here. I want out too. And then Roger's like, man, eh, never mind. In which case, this is Roger's fault that Devontae's gone. But you know what I mean? It's one of those things where you call it a conspiracy theory, but that thing that I just said kind of makes less sense to me. Roger's made Devontae hate this organization so much so that Devontae left, and then Roger's like, nah, actually, I think I'll stay. They're kind of cool, I guess. It really honestly makes more sense to me that Devontae hated it here, and I'm sure other players kind of feel a similar sentiment. I mean, it's you, know, you wonder, what are they doing wrong? I don't know, man. Do, do you feel super great about your job? You ever been disgruntled? You ever been mad at your boss? You ever kind of get upset about the way things go? And have you noticed, by the way, across the league, there are a lot of players forcing their way off of a lot of teams? People get upset, man, especially today. Like pe- team, Players forcing their way off of teams is just becoming a common thing. And I think for a lot of players, I mean, they're, they're you know, you, you look at like, what is the most popular sport among football players? It's not football, it's basketball. And it's a very common thing among basketball players to just be like, I'm going over there now. And so it's not surprising when you got somebody like Devontae, who's a huge basketball fan, to just be like, they do it, I'm doing it. I I control my own destiny. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't want to be here. I don't want to live here. I've got a family. I've got a wife. I've got a child. I want to go somewhere warm. I want to live in a city that I like. I want to play for the team I like. I want to play with, you know, one of my best friends in car. Like, that's just a dream scenario. And that's what I want. And that's what I'm doing. Nothing I'm saying is a statement of fact. I'm just throwing it out there because we haven't really discussed it from that perspective. Continuing on with the article, the Packers power brokers asked Adams how they could change his mind. The Packers are willing to give Adams a better contract than the five-year $141.25 million pact that he signed with the Raiders after the trade, but Adams wanted to join a new team and the Packers gave him permission to seek a trade. He became enamored with the idea of playing for the Raiders and with Fresno State teammate Derek Carr once they got involved. So clearly based on the structure of the way that this is being written, and I don't know if this is necessarily a statement of fact or just the way he wants to write it, but again, it points to first came the disgruntled Devante, and then came his enamorment with the Raiders. So it is true that he just wanted to be a Raider, but according to this, it's also true that before that, he was upset with the team and didn't want to be here anymore. In other words, even if, you know, the Raiders weren't a team and Derek Carr wasn't on the team anymore, he would still be playing for someone else. On the negotiating front, Adams and the Raiders agreed to a new contract within about a day, but the trade term still uh, needed to be ironed out. The Packers wanted the first and second round picks in the 2022 that they ultimately received, but the Raiders were hoping to substitute that second rounder for another pick. The deal then nearly hit a snack. So, so just to be to kind of pause here for a minute. This happened almost instantly. And and again, not surprisingly, because this is a dream for Devante, right? Like they, they offered him all the money that he wanted. This is the team he's always wanted to play for. He's got his friend, like th- there's not even a close second. So them coming to a, terms was almost immediate. But the delay and why things kind of took as long as it did had more to do with the Packers and the Raiders not being able to agree on compensation. The deal then nearly hit a snag when the Packers asked for a player in return. Initially, the Raiders offered their 2022 first-round pick and 2023 second-rounder. Shortly thereafter, the Packers asked for a first-rounder and an undisclosed player. Man, I'd love to know who that was. It doesn't sound like the Raiders are going to accept that package, but the sides also realized that such a deal wasn't actually permissible, as league rules don't allow a player to be involved in a trade for another player on the franchise tag. Finally, a few days after ironing out the contract with Adams, the Raiders agreed to send the pair of picks. So this is also great for a couple reasons. Number one, a lot of the people that are disgruntled with the compensation, which again, it's not bad compensation at all. It is it is top tier. At the very least, it is like it is the value. 
if not us getting really good value. This is not bad value, but one of the things that people who are mad about is you should have gotten a player. This should have been two picks and a player. Okay, well, no, that's insane. But beyond that, a player was not on the table, not even an option. Against league rules, can't do it. The only way they could have possibly done that, and maybe if things got bad enough, it could have come to this point, if, if, if they even would have agreed to it, I guess, would be that the Packers would have had to have signed Devontae to the deal that the Raiders wanted, and then they trade him. In other words, it removed the franchise tag from the, from the equation. But even then, it would have been in substitute for the second. So it would have been a first-round pick and a player instead of a first and a second. We're not getting like two firsts and a player, which is what some people are, are demanding, which is just, you guys are just being absurd. So anyways, that is, um, that is what we learned from that. And, and again, very important information, really interesting information. Um, it is nice to be able to peek behind the curtain as much as it's like I, I roll my eyes at the prospect of having to walk all the way like, oh, dude, we already left there. All right, let's go all the way back and talk about it. But it is interesting and it is a little upsetting. And it, it you know, I, I can't help but wonder what the dynamic is, because I, I think we sometimes think in terms of black and white, like either the locker room is happy with the organization or the locker room is mad at the organization. But part of me wonders if this kind of works similar to what you see with, you know, the collective bargaining stuff, where it seems odd because everything we hear from what the players want, based on what the bigwigs are saying, and what the players vote for, it doesn't really line up, Right. You hear all the guys like Aaron Rodgers and all the big power players who are the ones with the, the big megaphone saying, this is what we need, this is what we want, and then the vote happens and they don't get it. And it's like, why did that happen? The reason why is because the people with the megaphones are the guys with hundreds of millions of dollars. They're a bunch of a big wig, big money divas. And, I, and the majority of the league is made up of guys that, that want to just grind and make their own way and make their own living. And it's like, I'm, I'm not going to vote to make the lives easier of quarterbacks on their third contract who have $400 million just sitting in a bank somewhere to, you know, protect them and all the, no, forget you, dude. Like I, I'm, I'm interested in, in just trying to, to, to work here. You know, it's, it's all about like, how can I get more time off or how can, and, and the guys who are just grinding, like, I don't need more time off. I need more practice. I need more training. I need more opportunities to get on this roster. I don't need less face time with my coaches. I don't need less time training on the field. And so when I look at the locker room, I wonder if there's a similar dynamic where it seems like everybody hates it there. But you look at like what happened with Zadarius where he was kind of getting disgruntled and he leaves. And what does Rashawn do? Rashawn like gets in his face. I just wonder if there's a dynamic of, you know, some of the bigger players kind of being all diva-esque about how, you know, I don't have enough say on this team and I don't have enough of this and I don't have... And there's some guys who are like, you know... They're still on their rookie contracts. They're not making any money, and they're watching these super rich guys complain about money, and it's like, dude, shut up, man. Bunch of whiny, crybaby divas. Like, get out of my face. In other words, I, I, I just, I don't necessarily think it's, it's an either-or, and I just wonder what the dynamic is. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't have to get along with each other, but I, I just wonder if there, are, there is agreement generally or, or disagreement in terms of the player's view of the team, the organization, et cetera. And I, and I think it's important for the team to monitor that as well, because um, when you got guys like Devontae and Rodgers who are very openly um, anti-organization, that becomes a dangerous thing because, you know, they can start to influence some of the, some of the younger guys coming in. And the last thing you want is for a guy that's coming in that's, you know, like Rashawn Gary, who's got tears streaming down his face, who is so grateful to the organization. And when we drafted him, that was my biggest thing is this guy will die 
for for anybody that drafts him. He is the most loyal person on planet Earth. That was my assessment of him, and that was my my number one asset. He will work ceaselessly for his team. You get his back, and he will get your back. You don't need guys like that who are so excited to get into the NFL. They're, this is the greatest moment of their life, and they're so grateful to this team. And their their whole thing is, I'm going to work, and I'm going to grind, and I'm going to do everything. And you know, you get in there, and you start to settle in with some of the veterans, and they're just kind of like kicking back, and they're kind of taking time off, and they're kind of like, eh, don't worry about it. It's stupid. This, don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Just listen to me. You know what I mean? You know, don't worry about what the coaches say, or this guy's kind of an idiot, or da 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 da. You don't need that kind of attitude getting infused into some of the younger guys. And again, it's one of those things where every locker room is going to have people that are disgruntled and not even necessarily disgruntled, but like they don't have stars in their eyes anymore. They're not enamored with like, wow, I'm a part of this massive organization, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's just kind of like, it's just a building. It's a stupid workplace. I hate being here. Da, da, da. But then they start thinking like, this is a uniquely bad place to be. You know, like this is bad and this is bad and this is bad. And, and it's just not like that everywhere else. And I just got to get out of here. So it's it's something to to monitor for the coaches and for the GM and everything else. And, and you definitely want more guys like Rashawn Gary. And if there is some some anti-team sentiment, you, you want guys that are going to push back a little bit and be like, then then don't be here because we're, we're on a mission. We're, we're here because we want to win. We're here because we want to work. We're here because we want to, you know, bring a Lombardi trophy back to Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's why we're here. We're here to fight and grind and 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 bleed for this team. And if you don't want to be a part of this team, then get out. Because that's what we are, man. We're a team and we're a family. And if, you know, if I get traded or whatever, then it is what it is. You know, it's a business. I understand all that. But while I'm here, while I'm wearing this G on my on on my helmet, this is my team, and I'm not going to tolerate talking bad about my team in this locker room. That should be the mentality. And 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 the worst part is that should be the mentality from leadership. Guys like Devontae, guys like Aaron Rodgers, guys like, you know, Mercedes Lewis and, and just, you know, the, the older veteran guys that come in, even if you think that stuff is cheesy and corny or whatever, you, you should know that that is an important thing, that you can't win a team sport without building a team. There needs to be a family environment and a loyalty, whether, whether, you know, if you have some kind of an issue with Mark Murphy, don't let that bleed into the locker room. That's, that's out there. In here, we do this for each other. This is our team. This is our turf. This is our year. And, you know, again, you start hearing all this this whining and complaining from Rodgers and Devontae. And, and granted, Devontae was pretty quiet. This is why, like, this is a new theory, because we didn't really hear it. There's a little bit with social media stuff, but it was also the whole thing where there was a bunch of people putting out stuff on social media just to be stupid. Some of it maybe was real, like with Zedarius, and some of it was probably just nonsense and guys just acting goofy just to get a rise out of everybody. But, you know, I, I, I think it's important. And, you know, if, if I'm Matt LaFleur or if I'm, you know, whoever, I'm, I'm looking at these guys and I'm talking to my veterans and I'm like, listen, whatever issues you got, that's your own problem. But I'm not going to tolerate that in here. I will not. And if you're think, you think you're too big for this, you're out of your mind. We're going to have a problem if you're going to talk bad about this organization in this locker room or anywhere else. You got a problem with me, come talk to me. You don't run to Pat McAfee and start talking about the organization in any kind of way because you're poisoning your own locker room. You want to complain about the team not doing enough while you single-handedly sabotage your own team by poisoning your own locker room and putting this garbage out into the air so that your own team can hear it and absorb it. You're undermining your own team and then wondering why you can't win. And again, I, you know, Rodgers hasn't really done that in a while. He's talked glowingly about the organization for quite, but I'm, I'm just speaking generally. You know what I mean? Generally, do not do that stuff. Talking about, you know, a year ago when he was doing this stuff, it's it's not good. And granted, at the time, he was probably thinking, I want out anyways, or whatever. He's trying to maybe force his way out like Devontae. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But 
you know, now you're on the team and now you've got your new contract and now, you know, any and all issues. And again, if I'm Matt LaFleur, this is what I'm telling him. You be as blunt as you want. You can, you know, kick in my door and you can get in my face and do whatever it is you got to do. But don't you dare put that in the locker room. Don't you dare bring up your issues to these guys. Whether you want to be a leader or not, you are. And what you put forth in that locker room is going to be a reflection of how this locker room operates. You start talking bad about anything, the offense, the players, the scheme, the leadership, the city, anything, and that's going to permeate throughout the locker room. You guys, all the leaders in this room, need to set the standard that that crap will not be tolerated. You shouldn't be putting it into the locker room. You should be getting it out of the locker room. And if you hear any of it, you need to immediately send somebody to go check them, whether it's you or somebody else. You know, if you've got like a second year defensive lineman talking bad about the team, you you talk to Kenny and say, hey, get in that guy's face right now. Tell him that we don't play that crap here. You know, Stoke starts popping off, you send Amos. You better chill out because I don't have too much longer in this league and I intend to win. And if you're not going to be a part of this team, then don't be a part of this team. It's a very, very clear and very simple message. So again, I don't know what the dynamics are, but it just, whenever you see stuff like this, you got to, you got to wonder. And we've been through it before. I mean, before Brian Gutekunds came in, it was a, a very toxic environment. And even then it was, it was a split locker room. It wasn't like everybody hated it here, but I think you had leaders that didn't care anymore, right? Rogers was disgruntled all the way back then. I think you had guys like Nick Perry and Clay Matthews that just didn't care anymore. I mean, they, you know, there, there was no like outside linebacker <laughs> coach. And so they were just kind of floundering. And, you know, you had guys, it, again, I mentioned Haha Clinton Dick spoke out about it as basically saying like, this is a, not a great environment. You got young guys that don't care that come in here and they're just chasing money and they, you know, they, they don't care about this team environment. And then you got veterans that are just like, I don't know, I'm just, you know, I'm just riding out till retirement. It's just, it just was not a good environment. And so, um, I think that's a big part of, of drafting and free agency as well is, you know, it's, it's, it's winning the, the battle of, of the minds. You know, you're drafting future leaders. And again, Rashawn Gary is the standard. You know, when, when, when this guy starts to take over as a leader, not just of the pass rushers, but of the defense and of the team, you want a guy that's going to be an alpha in the locker room that is, I don't care who you are, you will not talk like that in here. You're talking bad about the team. You're talking bad about my team. You're attacking me when you talk about my team like that. I'm not putting up with that. You know, and, and some people aren't into the rah-rah stuff. Fine, then go, go. I'm not saying you have to jump up and start doing all this stuff, but at the very least, you got to shut your mouth. You don't have to till the garden, but don't poison it either. And that's, you know, that, that honestly is another benefit. And not, you know, again, it's, it's not great, but if somebody starts saying, I want out, and again, you, you, you're stuck because you don't want to just make it so easy that a player can just show up and be like, I want out, and then you trade him. That was the whole thing with Rodgers, too. If it was me, we probably wouldn't have Rodgers on our team right now. As soon as I heard, I want out, I'm not playing, that draft, I'd, he'd, have been, he'd have been gone. Because I'd be too scared. Like, I'm, I'm going to end up not getting what I need from him and everything else and get it while you can. But then you set a precedent where it's like, if somebody wants to be traded, all they got to do is say, I'm not playing. And you, you, know, you give up all your power. But at the same time, you're, every time you do it, you're kind of just getting rid of the bad blood and you're winning that battle of, you know, good and evil, if you will. It's a little, little dramatic, but you know, there's, there's, there's always going to be weights. You got the rah-rah guys on one side and then on the other end of the extreme, you got guys that are somewhat disgruntled and unhappy. And that's not a Packers thing. That's just a football thing. And a lot of, you know, especially veterans, you've been here for a long time. So again, a lot of the excitement and all that kind of starts to wear off, making a bunch of money kind of just loses its luster. And it's just about, I just want the next big number. You're kind of too cool for school kind of thing. But, you know, again, that's one of the benefits of moving on from a guy like Devontae is the locker room moves away from the disgruntled 
and and you bring in new guys that are excited and ready to be here and ready to work. So it's not great, and you definitely need to work on guys not being disgruntled. And, and you know, it's not all on the players. It is on the coaches and everything else to figure that out and, and on the leadership. And, and even Aaron Rodgers said, you know, that guys like Gutekunst have done a great job of, of, you know, understanding the importance of that and trying to win over the locker room and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the players are the ones that dictate how things go. They're the ones that decide their attitude. It's not like the coaches force them to be a certain way. You decide how you're going to act as a as a as a reaction. Well, I don't like how they ship this guy off. Therefore, I'm just going to be no 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 no. You're not required to to poison your own locker room because you don't like somebody. Don't act like a victim. So, anyways, a um, lot of lot of dynamics to this whole thing, and it's just I guess kind of something to watch, but. You know, again, we've we've got Aaron Rodgers who has changed his demeanor on the team, and Devontae, who is apparently unhappy that is now gone, Zadarius, who seemed to be disgruntled, who is now gone. So we're kind of and, and I do think that's a Brian Gutekunst thing. I mean, when he came in, he cleaned house, and a lot of the guys he cleaned house with was cleaning up the locker room and a lot of people that are having attitudes and everything else, bye, see ya. You're not gonna listen, you're not gonna just get out. I don't care. That's a little different with superstars, but if you're not a superstar and you got an attitude, Brian Gutekunst will send you out so fast. And so, you know, that's where you look at Zadarius, and I know he was never going to stay with his contract anyways, but I, I really think that was an easy one for them. The guy didn't produce. I mean, again, he had a he had a big fall off in his, his second year, which nobody really talks about, but he did. And then the next year, he didn't play at all. And then he's got an attitude, and he's upset with it. Bye. Like, I, I'm sorry, I love you, Zadarius. And he, he seemed like a great guy. He never seemed like the kind of guy that would go this route. And maybe he was more hurt than anything. I don't know. But it's still, it's just like, you know what? We're not, we're not doing this. Like, it's, it's, we're done. But um, anyways, Seems like a good place to take a break. Please remember to check out uh, the GoFundMe that is pinned to my Twitter to help Drew get his seizure service dog. He was diagnosed with epilepsy. We're trying to get him some help with a uh, service dog. We've raised over $4,000. We're trying to get just under $7,500. So we do have a bit of a way to go, but we are over the halfway mark, which is fantastic. It's been almost a week since the last donation. So um, again, thank you to the anonymous donor who donated $250 to both of these donors. these GoFundMe's, which is fantastic. But again, if you've got a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, whatever you got, if we can just keep something trickling in on a more regular basis, that the donation before that was 17 days ago. So we're kind of at like once every week to two weeks. And so my goal was to be able to get him his dog before the start of the season. And at this pace, I just, I don't think that's really going to happen. So um, anything you can do, even if you don't have any money, if you could just go to my Twitter and just retweet it, it's my pinned tweet, just retweet it with a little blurb. If you got five bucks, whatever, you know, if you think about all the people listening, if everybody retweets it, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people. You know, even if you only have 500 followers, that's a lot of people. If you have 5,000 followers, you know what I mean? Whatever you got just to kind of help. I mean, it's, it's just a good thing. I mean, I'm, I'm not begging for something for myself. I'm not asking you to buy this guy a new car because, you know, I mean, he's got a Mustang, but he kind of wants to go from like muscle car to Tesla. So let's go get him a Tesla. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's not that. It's something very different. And then on top of that, we've got the Jamie and Carter Accident Fund trying to get to $10,000. We have raised $9,040. So this one is is very, very close to being done. This one is pinned to the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Again, same thing. Um, if you're able to go find that, if you want me to send you the link so that you can tweet it out, or if you want to go on Facebook and share it with your Facebook friends, that would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm I'm confident that we can close this one out very, very quickly, and I would really love to be able to do that to be able to get an extra $1,000 over to Cody, um, to be able to help with expenses. And there's a lot of travel. He's got to travel back and forth to the hospital. 
Um, this is uh, Jamie and uh, her one-year-old middle child, Carter, struck head-on in a collision. And again, they were flight for life to the, uh, the hospital. Again, haven't gotten an update since March 3rd, but uh, in that update, they said there was a pretty long road to recovery for both of them. So um, again, if we could just help to get the word out on that, share it around to your friends and family, blast it on Twitter, put it on Instagram. You know, again, I'll get you the link, put it out wherever it is you think you can, you can find some help. And let's get these people the help they need. Lastly, let's not forget about A Modern Frontier. I think I'm going to reach out to Adam this week and get another order of, uh, I think I'm going to just do beef again. Maybe I'll do the sample box. I don't know. But he's got uh, a ton of different options now. we got pork, beef, uh, chicken. Uh, You can get it in um, really small quantities. They have it down at at an eighth or even smaller. They have what, what he calls sample boxes, which I'm guessing are like sixteenths. So really, really affordable prices to be able to get uh, meat in bulk, but you're not dropping a thousand dollars like you normally would uh, when you go out and do this kind of stuff. We're talking, you know, depending on what you get, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred bucks, maybe four hundred if you get. I think that's like the most expensive thing he has on here. Um, and again, if you use promo code a um, Modern Frontier is the website name. Uh, meat Packer. That's one word, all caps. Um, you get twenty five dollars off your order. And again, this is. Um, this is farm to table. I mean, this this comes from a Wisconsin farm. It is delivered to your doorstep. Shipping is included in the price. There's not like additional processing fees and shipping fees and all this other stuff. The price you see is the price you pay minus the $25 you get from using the promo code. So again, there are limitations to how far he can ship this. So if you want to reach out to him and send him a message, um, he'll be able to get back to you and let you know if he's able to ship to you. So anyways, we'll uh, take a break here and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the segment that JJ did yesterday with Coach Hahn. Again, if you have not listened to that, please go back and listen to that. He had two guests on. I do not want to butcher um, the first guest's name, so I will just say that he is a prominent um, college football writer and podcaster, and he is uh, especially adept at understanding Baylor players. So they went in depth on a couple different prospects there, as well as a few other prospects that were discussed. But um, in particular, I wanted to talk about something that... um, Coach Hahn talked about because Coach Hahn, you know, the the two main kind of film breakdown guys that we've had on as guests are Sam Holman and Coach Hahn. And Coach Hahn, his specialty is offensive line. Sam Holman's specialty is defense. So when when Coach Hahn came on, not that he can't articulate things as far as quarterbacks, wide receivers, and everything else, it, it cer- certainly could teach us all, or at least I would assume most of us, something about those positions that we wouldn't understand. Offensive line is what he really understands. So J.J. had him talk about some of the offensive line prospects. And um, he, he t- 
talked and gave tons of great information about a lot of different guys, but the one guy I really want to highlight is, and again, as soon as he said it, it's like, why am, am I not all over this? You know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that's just been sitting in, in front of my face. It ties together all the things that I've been saying in a way that it's like, why didn't I just say the words? You know, you connect the dots and they all point in one place and I just didn't say it. And that is when he mentioned that his number one guy, and I don't just mean number one of the guys that were asked about, number one overall offensive line prospect for, for Coach Hahn is Trevor Penning. Now, when I talk about connect the dots, let me tell you about a couple of the dots. Number one, I personally really like Trevor Penning. Number two was the sort of glowing reviews we heard from Bob McGinn. Now, again, th- there's more positive and less positive, but let me just revisit that real quick. Six foot seven, 325, Trevor Penning, tackle out of Northern Iowa. I'm just going to read the whole thing real quick, just as a refresher. You and I gave him a scholarship largely because they hoped it would convince his brother, Jared, who is one year younger, to sign with the FCS program. He weighed 253 upon arrival, redshirted in 2017, played four games in 18, and started at left tackle from 2019 through 2021. Quote, at that level of comp, he crushes those guys, one scout said. Iowa State was the only big-time team they played. He's nasty, tough, smart. He's got strength and good enough athletic ability. Not a nifty type guy. Typical right tackle kind of player. That kind of athlete, which check checkmate please thank you the type that will play forever spencer brown who started right tackle opposite penning in 2019 to 2020 logged 60.6 percent playing time for the bills as a rookie after being drafted in the third round two scouts said penning was better than brown quote brown was a good player but i don't think it's close said another scout this kid's bigger stronger a better athlete this guy is mean as the day is long the defensive line in Mobile for the Senior Bowl hated this guy. They just wanted to fight him. He's a good athlete for a big man. I'm not sure he can't be better than everybody in this group except Neil, unquote. Takes hard coaching, wants to be pushed all football. Quote, it's much easier to calm a guy down than jack him up, a third scout. Kind of an interesting guy, really good technician, not real strong, but he is tough. Ran a fast 40, 489, arms measured 34 and a quarter, and three cone time of 725 seconds led the lineman. So what do we know about Trevor Penning and as far as his fit with the Green Bay Packers, which as um, Coach Hahn pointed out, not necessarily overall, but if, if he's the Green Bay Packers, the number one tackle on his board based on what we want, what we need is Trevor Penning. What did we hear? We heard right tackle, which is what we need. We heard athletic, which you need to be to some degree if you are um, a Green Bay Packers offensive lineman. Athleticism in this scheme is, is a necessity. But we also heard what? Something else we've been talking about, whether it's talking about tight ends, where we were the only team basically that has guys like Mercedes Lewis, where you talk about wide receiver, where the entire NFL, and this is interestingly enough, the the prior guest that JJ had on talked about how the NFL is moving away from sort of the big body wide receivers and moving more toward the Devontae Smiths, the sort of um, smaller, speedier kind of guys. What are the Packers doing? They're going in the exact opposite direction. While you get smaller and faster, we're getting bigger and stronger. And that's also true among the offensive line. While, while there is a minimum requirement for athleticism and you need to have athleticism, there's also seemingly a requirement that you need to be mean and physical. We demand physicality from our running backs, from our, from our centers, guards, and tackles, from our tight ends, and from our wide receivers. If you play on this team, you're going to be big, you're going to be strong, you're going to be freaking mean. Trevor Penning, right tackle, athletic, and as mean as the day is long according to scouts. And if you listen to what Coach Hahn said, it mirrored exactly that. He is a perfect fit for the Green Bay Packers. He is athletic. He is violent and mean. Which really, if you think about it, 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 if you think about left tackle and right tackle, 
granted, I think it's it's less so today than maybe in the past where you got pass rushers lining up left and right, but it still tends to be the difference between the two. Left tackle, you got your da- you, you, your sort of dancer, and on the right tackle, you've got your your bulldog, your brawler. You know, you think David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga. You know, they both need to be athletic and they both need to be mean. But if you got one guy that leans athletic and one guy that leans mean, your athletic guy's your left tackle, your mean guy's your right tackle. And again, Trevor Penning just fits all of that. Now, what other checkboxes does this meet? Number one is the rumor that he's going to go a lot earlier than people thought. Trevor Penning at, at one point was kind of expected to be in that 22 range where the Packers were picking. That's no longer the case. In fact, um, what I had heard is by the time Baltimore comes up at pick 14, he's gone. In other words, if he's not gone already, Baltimore will take him off the board at 14. He's going early. So what is the scenario I'm talking about? And granted, this is probably a nightmare scenario for a lot of people, but Coach Hahn posited this, and it just kind of makes sense to me. And that is the idea that the Packers may end up trading up real high and not getting a wide receiver. And again, the entire world might completely implode and start on fire. But what are what, what did I just talk about recently? Look at how much work they're doing on wide receiver prospects from the second round on, really making sure that they have the best intel available for all of the wide receivers. And yes, they met with Traylon Burks. This was kind of a long time ago. They met with a lot of different guys. But recently, and the guys are having in now, remember, one of the staples of Brian Gutekunst that is so different from Ted Thompson is Ted Thompson always used to do what the Packers are doing now. He would bring in all the mid to late round guys. He didn't bring in first round prospects. He just didn't, right? He's like, first round is easy. What makes a good GM is being able to find those gems in the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round, right? This is what makes you a great GM. And that is what made Ted Thompson a great GM. Granted, kind of wish he would have spent a little bit more time on those first round picks because he kind of struggled in that area. But Brian Gutekunst was the opposite. He was always bringing in first round guys, early round guys. And, and, and as a result, I think he ended up crushing the first round. Now we have two first round picks and two second round picks. We have so much ability to move up, move back, do all these things, and, and just just really hammer the first round and the early rounds and the early picks, and and we're not bringing those guys in. Now, I'm not saying they know, but they're at least putting themselves in a position where if they don't get a wide receiver in the first round, which at this point, I'm, I'm let's say, 53% sure that they're walking away with a wide receiver. But if they don't, they're making sure they're in a position where they can find one with one or two of their second round picks, they've got a third, fourth, and a bunch of other picks to find guys. And they can double and triple up at wide receiver and still find good wide receivers. You know, I, I another minor dot, and I saw somebody in the Facebook group kind of hammered me for this, although I think like most people that kind of hammer me for stuff, they misrepresent what I said. I think the comment was something to the effect of, he told us not to worry about wide receiver and then spent the next half hour worrying about wide receiver. What, what I had said is that the NFL overvalues wide receiver, which I think is true. And the reason we should worry about that is because it's putting us in a position where we can't get wide receivers because they overvalue wide receiver. So both things can be true at the same time. It's, at, you know, quite obviously in my opinion. But I think the, you know, what Mr. Numberman, when he reached out to me, he basically said he agreed that wide receiver is massively overvalued by the NFL. And as a result, I think a lot of people look at it and say, then, then fine, don't worry about it. Now, I, I am worried about it because I do think there's a baseline of how good your wide receivers need to be. The benefit of not of letting the NFL do stupid things is that you get more value. Too much, you know, good value is going to fall to you because other people overvalue different positions. My concern is not hitting that baseline, but let's let's play with that for a minute. Let's say the NFL does massively overvalue wide receiver. 
Let's say that the statistics bear that out and everything else bears that out. The NFL is massively overpaying for wide receivers. They're overdrafting wide receivers. So what if some of that value starts to fall? What if we pair up our two first round picks and we move up and we get Trevor Penning and we really hammer an undervalued position, which is, let's just say, the offensive line, which again, it's it's kind of a, a boring position. And I do think it ends up being undervalued by the NFL because it's Again, I, I can't get past the the Dallas Cowboys example, where the, the only reason for their massive success, like five years ago or whatever, was their offensive line. They allowed it to deteriorate. They they overdrafted wide receiver, and it's doing nothing for them. They got three top tier wide receivers, and they still can't play football because they devalued offensive line and they overvalued wide receiver. Well, I thought they were good last year. Yeah, it was largely because of their their defense, which played way way beyond what they're going to be capable of this year. But it was largely just having a dominant defense that excelled with sacks and interceptions. But again, just putting the dots together, not necessarily because I think it's going to happen, but it's something that we should consider because we need to start exploring other options. And we need to start getting excited about other options. As I said, the number one thing that can take this team through the roof, although I do think that there is a baseline of wide receiver, and I do think we need to do better at wide receiver. And again, my concern is... We're going to struggle to do better because everyone else keeps overdrafting wide receivers. So our ability to get receivers that are going to elevate that room is lessened because everyone else keeps taking all the wide receivers. I mean, it's again, it's pretty simplistic what I'm saying here. We're just struggling to get to the baseline. I'm not saying we also should overvalue wide receivers, although I, I guess I kind of am because the question is, do we have to in order to get those guys? But if we don't, and if and and again, this is kind of where it seems like the Packers are at. The Packers seem to have the same mentality because they don't panic about wide receiver. So let's just call this a scenario. The Packers trade up, and I'm talking way trade up. Again, we can get to around 14 with a first and a second. So maybe if he gets to that point, let's say the Houston Texans at 13, or who knows, maybe Jordan Love is an option. I'd really doubt that, but I mean that would be enough to you know first and get us way up. You know, get us to maybe nine with Seattle or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe the Texans would take him at thirteen. But the point is, he falls that far, and um, you know, you're looking at well, maybe Houston would want him at thirteen. Yeah, but I think there's a good chance Houston ends up taking an offensive lineman at three. If Jacksonville and Detroit go pass rusher, pass rusher, there's a good chance Houston goes offensive line, which means they won't need another one at third. Well, not necessarily. I mean, maybe they go double up, but I doubt it. And Houston has a massive amount of needs, so maybe getting them two more picks instead of having one at thirteen would be beneficial to them. And we want to jump Baltimore, which again, maybe Baltimore isn't really interested in penning. That was another thing when he when he kind of highlighted a team that has very different desires of what an offensive lineman looked like. Not to say that they wouldn't like Baltimore or, or, or Trevor Penning, but whatever. The point is, if we don't think he makes it past Baltimore, we really want the guy and we can get Houston to trade with us. There is a scenario, and let's just say it's our, our, our 22 and our first second round pick to get up there. And we still have pick 28, and we still have our own second round picks. We still have our, our original picks. We basically use the two Raiders picks to get Trevor Penning. I'm guessing most Packer fans don't like that. I think that's a scenario I can get behind. We still have an opportunity to get a wide receiver at 28. If we don't, we're certainly going to have opportunities in the second round. But again, just think about what that does. And I know a lot of people, well, that's stupid because Elton Jenkins is playing tackle. But I don't think you need to do that. Again, the best thing you can do is build a, an, an elite offensive line. If we move Rashawn, or why do I keep saying that? If we move Elton Jenkins to tackle, then we have, and, and that was another thing, Coach Hahn says by week three, he's coming back. So let's just assume he's back for the majority of the year. We don't need to worry about the injury. We have David Bakhtiari at left tackle. We have Elton Jenkins at right tackle. And what? The interior of our offensive line is, is, 
in my opinion, just not great. I know everybody thinks John Myers and or, uh, Josh Myers and John Runyon are just great football players, but I don't really think so. I'm hoping Josh Myers takes a step and becomes a great center. I'm hoping John Runyon can learn the run blocking part of his game because he was a great pass blocker, but was just an abysmally horrible garbage run blocking guard, which is not good enough. And Royce Newman was just kind of terrible. So in reality, based on last year, we have three bad offensive linemen on the interior. And you have Elton Jenkins playing a, a somewhat different position. And although we, we are pretty sure he can do it quite well, we have the opportunity right now to get a top-tier, dominant, just mean, mauling right tackle. And have David Bakhtiari, who is a phenomenal left tackle. And Elton Jenkins, who is a dominating left guard. Which, by the way, is going to help Josh Myers in the center. Because these things kind of intertwine with each other. Josh Myers is not helped by having two lesser guards on either side of him. That complicates things a little bit. And so the point is, if we have the ability to have three really great offensive linemen, I don't care if, if, if Elton Jenkins plays guard. Good. I mean, I, I just think maybe, maybe we're devaluing guard too much. Like, who cares about guard? Like, make him a tackle because tackle is all that matters and he can do it. And then we'll just draft some, like, fourth-round guard and who cares? No. No. We have an elite guard. Let's keep him as an elite guard. That's fine with me. I mean, and if we don't get a tackle, fine, we can move him to tackle and, and see what we can put together with the, the guards and center. Again, hopefully these guys can take a step, but I'm not just going to assume it. But it's, it's another scenario that I, that I think is, is, despite the fact that all anybody wants to talk about is wide receiver, and if the Packers trade up, I'm sure everyone's saying who's the best, you know, you know absolute worst case scenario as far as Packers fandom is, you know, Drake London is available and we trade up and they take Trevor Penning. I'm not saying worst case for the Packers. I'm just talking about Packers fandom just losing their ever-loving minds. And again, a lot of what I'm trying to do right now is the more excited we can get about these prospects and, and, and not pigeon our, pigeonhole ourselves into, you know, if we don't get Drake London, then we're doomed. If that's our mentality, we're going to hate the draft. But what we really need to do is start looking at these prospects and what they can do for us and, and getting hyped up about the best case scenarios. You know, what if Trayvon Walker falls and we trade up and we end up taking Walker? Are people going to be furious? Yes, but what, what can we take from that? What are the benefits of that? I know we're worried because, the, 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 you know, the, the biggest problem with the draft is you only get so many picks. And especially if you're using two of those picks to get one player and it's not, not only is it not a wide receiver, it's not even an offensive player, there's going to be a lot of concern. But at the same time, you're talking about two Rashawn Garys and Preston Smith. And you, you start looking at the fact of, you know, again, the Packers' biggest weakness, especially in, in those really tough games, is the trenches, offensive and defensive. So we got some more ammo for the trenches. And rather than saying it's, you know, this or bust, really just seeing how this person can add to our team and what this can do for us. You know, even, even Kenyon Green, I, I, you know, even I'm getting myself into the point of pigeonholing myself because... You know, I, I, I just, I formed an opinion and I just kind of, that's just it. And I've convinced myself that I, I, I just, I can't get excited about it. But, you know, the one thing I've always known about the guy that I, that I even said that I really liked is that he's, he's just mean and he's physical and he's violent. Now, I don't think he's athletic enough. He looks slow and lumbering to me. Coach Hawn disagrees and he's probably much more right than I am. But I just don't think he ends up being a Packers guy. But again, what have I always said? If the Packers draft him, that means I was wrong about the negative assessment that he isn't athletic enough. And so what we're getting a guy that is athletic enough, but all that meanness that you saw and that you love, that violence, that just raw, brute strength, that is now on your offensive line. That is now your offensive guard. You know, if, if, if we get, let's say, Chris Olave and Kenyon Green, these are two guys that I've had reservations about. 
But again, those reservations, the Packers are saying, don't worry about it. You know, Chris Olave, little bit of concern about the size and, you know, obviously the route running and the, the hands and all that stuff, that's great. But, you know, can he, can he win and can he do this? And is, is he going to get bullied in the end of it? Packers are like, nope, that's not a thing. So just all that positive you saw, that's what you're getting. You know, with Kenyon Green, like, I don't know, he's not athletic and the Packers are like, yes, he is. And all that positive you saw, the violence, that is now going to be in the green and gold. And again, the, the Packers can be wrong, but if you trust that the Packers understand their own needs better than you do and understand their own benchmarks better than you do, and they have better scouts that can say, does he meet the thresholds? Does that team have a better ability to assess their thresholds than you do? Because I watched literally one game of Kenyon Green, <laughs> you know, just casually. And it's like, I, I love the guy, but he just seems like kind of derp to derp when he's running, you know, kind of like he's got casts on his legs, like ur, ur, ur. really like, you know, running through sand or quicksand or whatever, running through mud. I don't know. But the Packers are just like, no, no, it's you're you're stupid. He's plenty athletic. And we just want a guy that's just going to, you know, smash a defensive lineman's face mask back through the you know back of his skull. How's that sound to you? Like, oh, that sounds great. Like, he's he's fast and stuff. And he's like, oh, fast is plenty fast enough. And he's going to do the, the face mask thing with the, the skull and all that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah he'll do that. Like, oh, all right, let's, let's do this. Freaking rock and roll, man. And that's the benefit I have as a fan. And, I, you know, you don't have to do that if that's not what you want to do. But I'm just, I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of, of putting so much stock in my own opinions and the opinions of, of, you know, draft bloggers that know less than Brian Gutekunst does that I really want to focus on the positives and understand that those positives are now being added to the Green Bay Packers. And so if, you know, if we trade up and get, let's say, Trayvon Walker, who I understand who's now considered to go one or two, but let's say he doesn't, because again, if you look at his production in college, it's kind of garbage and you're hundred percent betting on his upside because his athleticism is, is like everybody at Georgia, stupid. Georgia just is a bunch of complete robots. They're freaks. But let's just say he slides because, you know, people are, they don't really want to bet as much on the upside that early. And we trade up and get a freakish Rashawn Gary type. And he has the ability to kind of learn behind Preston and Rashawn. And Rashawn is the ultimate teacher of, hey, you're a pile of, of potential that doesn't know how to put it on the field. That's literally what I was when I came into the NFL. Let me help you out real quick. Kyle Hamilton. If Kyle Hamilton slides and we trade up and get Kyle Hamilton, good Lord, good freaking Lord. I mean, he's being compared to some of the all-time greats. And if you watch him, that's just what I see. I, I, I don't want to just throw names out there because they're probably sounding ridiculous. But this dude, I don't care what his 40 time says, can cover ground like nobody else. And he's another guy where it's like, his, if, if you look at his miles per hour, it's, it's through the roof, similar to Traylon Burke. So I don't know what that 40 time was about. And, and again, I can't dock him as running a 4.7 because he literally ran faster than that at the combine. A laser timed. So I, we know he's faster than that. So why are we even talking about 4-7? Um, Charles Cross. I don't know much about Charles Cross. Probably should learn because maybe he slides. Maybe the Packers love him. Maybe we draft him. Garrett Wilson. Good Lord, the guy's impressive. If he's around and we trade up and we get him, that's freaking awesome. Derek Stingley would hurt my soul a little bit, but you, you watch some of the highlights of his pro day and stuff, and you're like, you know, that's pretty impressive. Now, I know it's not a position to need, but you start thinking, you know, just start thinking to yourself, what if this guy's Darrell Revis? I mean, in terms of evaluation, that's what you see. Would you, would you do it? Let's just say Darrell Revis is out there at, in his prime and he's going to cost you like a few million bucks because he's a rookie and it's going to be just a few million bucks for, for four years or, you know, plus a fifth year option. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing you got to look at it from. That's the perspective. If he's like number two on your board and he's within striking distance, I understand it might not be a massive need today, but you're going to do it. Jermaine Johnson. I need no convincing on Jermaine Johnson. I don't care what my board says, anybody else's board said. I'm, I'm, I'm a giant fan of Jermaine Johnson. 
Drake London, I've got my concerns. I have my question on whether or not he's going to actually be able to translate and all that stuff. Don't care. Packers set all that aside, and you've got this big body guy that is, you know, great after the catch. Not only is he going to go up, and I mean, he's just a 50 50 monster. He basically leads all of college football. And again, a lot of that isn't just size. I mean, there's a lot of tall guys that are not getting that nearly that many 50 50 balls, including guys like Alec Pierce. I mean, you watch his highlights, he does a good job, but if you actually look at the statistics, it's it's pretty close to 50%. Jordan Davis, right? I have my reservations about how much is he actually going to play, and do you want a first-round guy? That, 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 that. And that may be a trade-up, that may be getting him at 22, that might be getting him at 28. I don't know where he's going to go, but you're talking about one of the literally, as far as RAS goes, I think the second most athletic person since, or, or since forever. Calvin Johnson is the only person that is more athletic on a relative basis than Jordan Davis. The potential of that is psychotic. On top of just being a, a double team monster next to Kenny Clark, that's going to get the best out of Kenny and the guys off the edge. What am I going to pout about that? Because I'm going to worry about his snap counts? No, I'll get over it. Jamison Williams. I've got plenty of reservations about him. Is he just a speed guy? Is he too small? What about his injury history? We've added one of the biggest speed freaks in the draft, the most talented pure speed guy in this draft, to our team. Will I get over it? You bet. Chris Olave already talked about it. Karloftis, not my favorite, but he reminds me of Clay. I'll get over it. Trevor Penning, again, probably going to need to be a trade-up. He's sitting here at 19. I'm guessing he won't be there at 19. Clearly, we'll be excited about that. Devin Lloyd. I had like a weird daydream the other day where the Packers ended up taking a linebacker, and it just shocked the heck out of me. But but the excitement of it, you know, where I can sit here today and just be like, nah, I ain't going to do that, and that's stupid. You don't really need that. But, you know, if we see it, immediately the potential of that comes fl- flooding into your mind. Just dominating elite linebackers and how, how much that helps in terms of, you know, the, the, against the run, but also against the pass and just controlling the middle of the field and the line of scrimmage and everything else. Glorious. Traylon Burks. You look at his upside. Again, this is an upside draft. So if you focus on upside, this is one of the best drafts you're ever going to see. There are concerns about floors. There are concerns about, you know, how much this stuff is going to translate and everything else. But if you remove the concerns and look at the upside, guys like Traylon Burks, you can't not get excited. This guy is, is, is a, a complete freak, regardless of his RAS. The stuff that he can do. Nicobe Dean, Devontae Wyatt. Again, I understand the age, but that requires no convincing for me. I, as freaky as Jordan Davis, but as a more of a Kenny Clark type. In other words, he can play every single down. He is just like twice as athletic as Kenny Clark will ever be. Kenyon Green, again, excited. Zion Johnson, excited. Jahan Dotson, even. The, the whole size thing is, is me saying the Packers don't want him because the Packers want size. If they're saying, oh, but this guy's the exception, pff, I'm listening. <laughs> Daxton Hill, Lewis Seen, even a running back. It would take me a minute. But again, I want to run the ball better. And if we're talking about a, a post-Aaron uh, Aaron Jones era with um, A.J. Dillon and someone else, I don't think it's going to happen. But, but the point is, can I envision the Packers' vision? Because the Packers have a vision when they draft somebody. And what I want to do is see that vision. Because their goal is our goal. Their goal is to build the most elite, dominant team that nobody can stop. I want to be able to see their vision. No matter the pick, instantly I see it. I see it and I love it. Again, maybe they're, and they're probably wrong. They're going to draft a bunch of people. What do we have, like 11 picks? And if we use all 11 picks, which I really doubt because we're going to be moving up, I would assume probably at least a couple times. But let's say we have seven, eight, nine picks. If four of them pan out, that's awesome. So yeah, they're going to get a lot of stuff wrong. But this is the off season. This is the time to see their vision and get excited about the vision. We can worry about who panned out three years down the road. We're way too quick as fans to, to deem people busts. You know, I'm, I'm trying to convince people to cool it with Amari Rodgers. 
But I, I've got a much bigger challenge of convincing people that somebody isn't a bust five seconds after we draft them. I guarantee at some point, probably after day one, for sure by the end of day two, I'm going to be taking, trying to get Packers fans off the ledge about somebody that's a bust that has literally not even played a single snap. So trying to get them to stop talking about Amari being a bust is a lost cause because it's a year in the books and he is not a Hall of Famer, so he's a bust. Well, I saw him. He, he ran like five routes and he didn't look good on those routes. He's trash. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's, again, I'll, whatever. That's fine. Sounds good. Whatever you say. But, you know, Logan Hall, again, I don't really think that's kind of the Packers style, but a, a tall, lean defensive tackle. By the way, I got to do this quickly because I was teasing it all of yesterday. And Logan Hall is my reminder. But the point is, by the time day one concludes, I don't think there's too much they can do that would disappoint me. And I, I've, I've been saying, I've, I've mostly been leaning into it because it's kind of my shtick now with Kenyon Green. I personally don't see it. I personally don't think the Packers are interested in him. But if the Packers take him, it's not hard to get excited about the upside. It really isn't. Go watch him. Go watch the violence. And if the Packers don't have reservations about his mobility, then I don't have my reservations about his mobility. There is not a ton. I think if I think if they take a corner, I'm going to be disappointed no matter what. That's just that's just being honest. Just because of the position, there there are certain positions that are going to make me sad. If they take a quarterback, I'm going to just I'm going to weep. You know, linebacker won't get me as excited. Whatever. But overall, there there really isn't much that they can do that is going to just completely disappoint me. And there are a couple people when I look at their name, I'm like, eh, you know, Logan Hall, Demarvin Leal. A few guys that I just can't quite come around to. But again, I, I, I'm going to just hammer it. I'm going to watch them because I want to see the vision for what it is that makes them a promising prospect. Because somebody's going to draft these guys and somebody's going to be excited about, about what they bring. And I want to know what that is. I want to see that vision. If they're a second round pick, they're a second round pick for a reason. Somebody sees great things coming out of their production in the NFL. All right. So I've been working on my... Um, my big board, I've, I've worked through Edge Rusher, and I, I basically had to redo it again, which took a lot of time, and it's kind of a pain. Don't really want to elaborate on why, but I, I apparently I'd done some, one of the formulas kind of messed it up, and it's like, well, we can't save it in this format, and I don't know what the heck happened, so the whole thing basically got erased. But I was able to go back and do it even better, because I went and found um, better stats and new stats or whatever else. But um, the Edge Rusher basically is done, and I went on defensive tackle, and again, I can't spend too much time trying to perfect the formula because I really need to rush and get this done with more positions, but I'm doing the absolute best I can. Um, but similarly to edge rusher, I've got my general board. And, and if you look at it, excluding the, uh, the one guy that I want to highlight, that is sort of the standout that I just, no matter what, I can't get him down. Yesterday was, um, as you'll remember, it was Alex Wright. And I, one of the things I did that was kind of an experiment uh, when I was doing defensive tackle, and I, what I did is I highlighted the top five defensive tackles and the bottom five defensive tackles that were rookies in the NFL this past year. And I tried to get you know the reds toward the bottom and the greens toward the top. And one of the best ways to do that, honestly, was to really, really, really weight very heavily the um, the strength of the program. But the thing is, even when I do that, the best I can do, and I put, I mean, it's just like a stupid weight where basically the strength of your program is by far like 7x, the most important aspect. The lowest I can get Alex Wright is fifth. So he's still at the top. And the same is true with this defensive tackle. And I had a bunch of people guessing. I did have two people guess properly. Um, one was Brochmo, who's got an awesome um, YouTube channel. Uh, the other, I forget exactly who it was, and I do not have time to look it up. But if you look at my board, the way I have it set up, excluding the top guy, and he is the top guy right now, I have Devontae Wyatt, number one, which is just 
that's just the way it was even prior to when I had my other setup. And obviously I'm not arguing with it because he's my top guy, even when he's not, not using formulas. Number two is Jordan Davis. Number three is Logan Hall. Then I have Federian Mathis. And so just generally, these are not super crazy rankings, right? I don't have people that are way high up that should be a lot lower or any of that kind of stuff. So it's, it looks about the way the rankings kind of generally look. And none of these guys rank super high. I don't think I have anybody that's in the 90s. Maybe Aiden Hutchinson. Let me check real quick where he's at. Aiden Hutchinson, although I got to bring this back down. I still have my seven in there. So Aiden Hutchinson, based on my grading scale, is at an 89.35, just to give you some perspective. So that's, it's obviously not very easy to get in the 90s on my scale, which is good. I don't want everybody to just be like a 99. I think that's stupid. But the highest grade, aside from the guy I'm going to talk about, is an 82. Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis is an 81. So... Um, and then after that, Federian is an 80. The next, oh shoot, these aren't even sorted right right now. Do, 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 there we go. The n- next highest, yeah, Logan Hall is an 80, and then it drops down to 76. So there's a big drop off um, down to uh, Benton Whiteley, who's Holy Cross. And again, if, if I wait the strength of schedule thing again, he, he drops, so he won't be there. But call it Travis Jones, who's next on the list, who, by the way, also would drop quite a bit because UConn is not a big program. But anyways, the guy that I've been talking about, and, and the reason I mentioned um, Logan Hall is because he's very similar. He's kind of a smaller, taller pass rusher type, but it is Cincinnati's Curtis Brooks. So homework assignment for the, for the day is Curtis Brooks. And, and, and I was thinking about it and I was like, I'm trying to just make these guys go away. But the, the problem is there's no way. And my, my, my thought was, well, maybe the problem is I'm waiting too heavily on pass rush because you got these true pure pass rushers. And at the end of the day, you're, you're discounting the, the run defenders. Well, that's not really true if you look at Jordan Davis. And on top of that, he's not bad against the run um, at all. In fact, he's quite a bit better than a lot of these guys. And Cincinnati is not a small program. So it's not like, well, he put, he doesn't, he plays for a big program. And so if you just go through the list and and you can see where there's really nothing, the only place he ranks really low is where I have his overall rank, which by the way, is like in the four hundreds, which is drawing him down because, you know, again, I don't really want outliers to be up. And the point is I want to bring him down and have him try to force his way back up. Like if you're a small school guy and you just dominate across the board, you're going to be up. That's all there is to it. You'll be down a little bit. You get discounted because of, of the school you go to. But, you know, I'm not going to just make it to where no matter what, you can't rise above it. So overall defensive grade of all defensive tackles, and I have 62 listed. He is seventh, just a PFF grade uh, as far as his overall defense. Now, his run defense grade is 31st, which again, not super great, but you'll see some of the t- statistics. He still does fine. But overall, on his pass rush grade, he's number one, highest, 92.3 pass rush grade. If you look at his um, pressure percentage, 28.57 pressure rate, and that's true pass set. So again, and we eliminate all the nonsense, 28.5. The second highest is Benton Whiteley out of Holy Cross, who I had mentioned before, 22.6. It drops from 28.5 down to 22.6 in second place. C.J. Wright is third with 21. Scott uh, Paychan is uh, at 20.6. Dimitri, blah, 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 all the way down the line, right? The, the, the highest guy that you probably... Um, would know his name would be like Devonte Wyatt and Devonte Wyatt is at uh, 17.39% just to show how drastically psychotically high that is. If you look at sack percentage, which is, you know, an, another kind of important thing, although I can't really quantify how important that is, there's still an element of being able to finish. He's second, second highest 
which is insane. 7% of the time you're getting a sack. Just to put that in perspective, a lot of the edge rushers are sitting at like 2, 3, maybe 4, or 5%. He's at 7. CJ Wright out of uh, Georgia Southern is the only one higher at 8.3%. He has the highest pass rush productivity out of anybody. If you look at his win rate, 37%. He's again, number one. Benton Whiteley, again, is the next highest at 34. It drops all the way down to, um, then it goes down to 33, 31, and then 26. I mean, it, it is just, it is a giant drop off and then another giant drop off. He is so far above the field, winning 37% of the time, it's ridiculous. But then we get into run defense. And again, it's like, well, he's a pure pass rusher, but he sucks against the run. His stop percentage, which again, is, is making a tackle that is a negative play for the offense. So it's not tackling somebody way down the field. It's, you know, on first down, it's like sub four yards. On second down, it's, you know, it, it, it's based on down and distance or whatever. He's third in the entire class in stop percentage, which is basically just being disruptive as a run defender. Out of 62, he ranks third, 13.1%. By the way, if you want a guy that is just um, stupid, which by the way, he only played four games, so it probably doesn't really count. I need to discount him overall, but Aubrey Solomon is at 27%. But if we discount him, the only guy high, higher, which so basically Curtis Brooks might be second on this list if we just say Aubrey Solomon doesn't count. Noah Ellis out of Idaho is the only one that's higher at 13.4. Curtis Brooks is at 13.1, and then it drops down to 12.2, and then from there, 11.5. So these are big drops one after the other, and then there's a bunch of 11s and et cetera, et cetera. But again, looking for names that actually you would know, Logan Hall down here at 14th, uh, 9.5%. And then average depth of tackle is another metric that I have for him. He's down at 25th, but still not... um, not terrible. I mean, his his overall um, grade on that, just out of 10, is a 7.3. Um, so, wait, what did I say his average depth? 1.6 yards is his average depth of tackle. Uh, the best in this class is Perry and Winfrey at negative uh, 0.9 yards on average where he's tackling people. And on top of that, out of as far as his RAS is concerned, he's fifth. Jordan Davis is number one. Thomas Booker is number two out of Stanford. Logan Hall is number uh, three out of Houston. Devontae Wyatt is four out of Georgia. And then Curtis Brooks. So you've got, I mean, statistically speaking, clearly Curtis Brooks is the best pass rusher of all the defensive tackles. Now you can try to discount him if you want, but um, he plays for a bigger program than Logan Hall out of Houston. So, you know, if you're going to discount him, then Logan Hall gets discounted. And we're basically saying you either play for Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, or you suck. Cincinnati's not a very small program. It's just not. I mean, we're, we're being silly if we're saying this is a small program. In fact, in fact, I have it number four on my list. So, I mean, that's, that's not even in the discussion as far as, as that being an issue. So, ma- major program. By the way, Cincinnati, their defense, solid. So, I mean, he, he, the guy checks every single box. And again, it's really just a question of, are the Packers looking for a Logan Hall type? I don't know what his knocks are. I don't know what exactly people think is, is really bad about him. Or maybe he's just the forgotten guy that just doesn't make it on lists because nobody knows. I don't know what the deal is. But in my opinion, he's Logan Hall, but better. And again, I don't know what's missing. Something's obviously missing, but um, that is your homework for the day. That, in fact, is my homework of the day. I tried to find, there isn't much on him as far as, as, as trying to find anything of Curtis Brooks. I'll have to check on my um, database to see if there's anything. But if nothing else, just watch. You know, there's there's always like Cincinnati versus so-and-so. Just figure out what number he is and you can watch him. You know, offensive line versus defensive line or whatever the case may be. And they'll just list in the comments like Curtis Brooks's number, this, that, or the other. But um, 
that would be your your homework. And let me just look real quick here, just to find if if you can find a game. I'm already very late, but whatever. We're we're doing this thing. So he had 43 pressures and nine sacks on the season. Um, and the thing is, like he, th- there's no. It's the other thing I kind of like about, like if you look at his PFF stuff, it's like it's pretty just average run of the mill. Like I like it. Um, he's got the consistency over. Let's see, he's been there for five years. His grades over five years, 79, 75, 78, 76, and 82. So you got consistency, and you've got the explosion the very last year where he really just went off, especially as a pass rusher. Um, but even throughout the season, like there's a lot of 60s. There's really not hardly any 50s. There's a 55.7 is the lowest. But even like statistics, a lot of times with good pass rushers, what you see is there's like there's a bunch of zeros mixed in with like a nine pressure game or whatever. Not really. He's got three games with five pressures, uh, three games with four, two games with three, four games with two, and two games with one. As far as his sacks, he's got two games with two, one, two, three, four, five games with one, and then the rest are all zeros. So, I mean, his highest graded game was against Murray State. I mean, good luck finding that, but he had four pressures in that game. Um, Eastern Carolina, two sacks and a pre- uh, two pressures and a sack. Indiana was his next highest graded game with five pressures. So, um, I think you can kind of just pick about any game um, I mean, his lowest graded is two lane, but he still gets two pressures in a sack in that game. So pretty much if you can find anything, and if you want to find a bigger program, you got Notre Dame, which was the second lowest graded game. Uh, you got Houston, which was a big one. And that was a championship game. Also at Alabama, he had a sick, that might be a good game too, because you're talking about Alabama offensive line. And, um, it's obviously a, a very big and prominent, we're not talking about, um, put, you know, against Tulane or anything. So that is a massive game. And it was a 67 overall grade, so kind of a middle of the pack average game for him. And he had five pressures. So that that's that's probably the one you want to watch. And I'm sure you'll be able to find that because it's Alabama. That's the one I'm going to go find, I'll tell you that. But anyways, that's it. That's all I got for you today. Again, his name is Curtis Brooks out of Cincinnati. Go check him out. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.